disciple or discipleship. It freaks us out a little bit, and we don't really know what it means. And so we've sought to define that, to bring some clarity, at least as best as we can see in Scripture, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be someone who follows Christ. And that means that we are someone who is filled up with God's love, that, that the source within us is God's love. It's not religion. It's not our own self-righteousness. It's not our own desires to try to create and be something. It's God's love that is filling us up to overflowing. And we've been using that verse that for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we want what is overflowing in our lives to be God's love and not my own self-righteousness. And then we talked about four things so far, that if we're going to be a true follower of Christ, we have to have the right motives, that our motive has to be surrender, our motive has to be coming to God and living our life and sacrifice and whatever He has for us. It cannot be coming to Jesus for what we get out of Him, but we're coming to Jesus to surrender to Him. Then we talked about having the right identity, that we don't achieve our identity, we receive our identity. Remember that? That that, that so much of us uh, spend our lives trying to achieve our identity when what we need is to sit back and, and receive it from God as He shares it with us in His Word. We talked about how once we have those two things, it will and it must affect our lives. The lives that we lead must change in response to those two things. Our lives and our actions cannot look like we looked before we came to Christ. We must start to change because that is the way of life. And as we live the way of life, our lives must look differently. And last week we talked about we talk, it's the right community. It's the right perspective of people. How do we see people? Do we see people as something to be used for our own advantages, or do we see people as made in the image of God? And that's, that shapes everything. We talk specifically about consumerism. Are we approaching community, this community of Christ, and community with other believers as something, as a product we consume for our own good, for our own benefit, and then at the end of the day, we're going to make ourselves happy and please ourselves based on what we're getting out of this, and if we're not getting our needs met, we're going to go somewhere else, or are we coming to serve and surrender and be a part of a life-giving community that God has called us into? So those are the first four parts. Today is the last one, and we're talking about purpose. Purpose. What is purpose? And specifically, purpose over progress. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but I have. Have you ever spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time and effort into something that was the wrong thing? Anyone ever done that? Where, where you, you know, it's you know, kind of like a uh, several election cycles ago, uh, what's-her-face Sarah Palin was talking about uh, shutting down the bridge to nowhere, right? It's like we're going to build a bridge right out. And we, I, I guess we did that at some point in time here in Washington with uh, the 205 bridge. Anyone around when they built the 205 bridge? I remember, I've, I've heard the stories. I wasn't there, but they built it, and it just kind of sat out there in the middle of the river until Oregon was able to get their end of it done. And so we literally had a bridge to nowhere for quite a while in Washington, um, but we, we do that in our lives, right, where we're building and building and building, but we kind of climb this ladder, and once we get to the top of the ladder, we realize our ladder was up against the wrong wall, that we get to the top of the wall, and we look down, and there's nothing there. We've spent a lot of our effort in our lives trying to build something, and it was really the wrong thing. And I just want to give you an example from my own life, um, and that's kind of my story of how I, how I ended up here as, as the pastor at 6-8 Church. I spent most of my life, though, preparing for an entirely different career. When I was in high school, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a traveling musician. I, you know, we had, at, at the time, it was popular in churches to have traveling music groups come to your church. So we'd often have groups come in from out of town, and they'd have this really cool bus, right? You know, the, the provost, anyone know what I'm talking about? This really cool bus, and they'd travel in this bus, and, and they would come in, and they'd maybe do a concert or a couple of concerts, or we'd have sometimes they'd come and do a whole week-long revival, and they'd do the music, and they'd do the teaching. And so, you know, I kind of loved that idea growing up as a kid, and so that was what I wanted to pursue. And um, I felt the call into ministry, and my initial call into ministry was to be a pastor, not music. And, and as I felt God calling me, I felt, well, I should be going to be a pastor. But then, as I've shared before, I kind of allowed the influence of people around me and some of my, uh, my natural gifts, gifts and strengths to lead me in a different direction. So I pursued music ministry instead of pastoral, you know, preaching ministry. 
And I pursued that for a long time. I went and got my college degree in music ministry, and then I moved out here and got my degree in Bible and theology as well as music ministry. And then I spent the next uh, 12 years of, of my life and our married life together pursuing music ministry. And, and it wasn't until all of that kind of crumbled and came crashing down that I realized I had spent my life putting a ladder up against the wall that God had not designed me to be on. And that was when God just kind of threw open, wide open a door to come here to the church and just orchestrated things in such a way for me to step into this role as a pastor. And this is where I've really felt like God was drawing me all along. Unfortunately, though, sometimes it takes us 14 years in the wrong direction, right, to get things right. It takes us 14 years going down the wrong road or 14 years climbing up the wrong ladder to get where we're supposed to be. And I know I'm not the only one. I've hear, heard many stories about people who have spent half of their lives pursuing something and then realizing in, their, in the middle age years that it was the wrong direction for their life. Well, today I want to talk about that as best I can. Now, I know probably I've probably set the stage or set the bar a little bit too high. I'm not going to answer all of your questions. What, is, what, is, what am I supposed to do with my life? I would love to help you figure that out, um, but I can't answer all of your questions, your life, your life purpose questions in one sermon, so uh, that would be more of a one-on-one -on -one thing, and if I can help you with that, I would be honored to help you with that. So talk to me or talk to us in the church, and I'll do my best to help along those ways. But I want to talk about the contrast between God's purpose for my life and my purpose for my life. God's purpose for my life and my purpose for my life. See, I think where a lot of us get, get stuck, where a lot of us get stranded is we pour ourselves out trying to achieve our own purposes. And then it's no surprise that, that once we have poured ourselves out trying to achieve our own purposes, we're drained, we're dry, we're tired, we're empty. We have lost all life because we have poured ourselves out trying to achieve our own purpose. And this kind of goes back and ties in with all of the different aspects that we've talked about so far. It talks about motives and identity and actions and community because, unfortunately, I think a lot of us go through those first four steps and then we still get to this point in the process of becoming a disciple and we still want God to just rubber stamp our own desires and our own purposes as opposed to really surrendering those desires and purposes for what He has for our life. We, we, want, we want to say, okay, I'll, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to check my motives and come and, and receive my identity and start to live the right kind of life and I'll live in the right kind of community. But still, when it comes to how I'm going to pursue my life, I want to ignore all of those things and just ask God to bless what I'm doing as opposed to joining God in what he wants me to do. And I think that's a struggle for all of us, including myself, is that we're, we're more interested in God blessing what we want to do instead of doing what God wants us to do and that thing that is already blessed if we do it. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. What is our life wrapped up in? Are we wrapped up in our own pursuits and our own purposes? Are we wrapped up in what we want for ourselves or even for our families? And no matter what the cost, this is the most important thing. I'm going to go after this. I don't care what it costs me at the end of the day. Or, in the end, are we being poured out for God's purpose in our lives? I want to explain that. Are you being poured out for God's purpose in your life? Is your life in harmony with how God wants to use you and your family? See, I'm not telling you to ignore yourself or to ignore your family or to ignore your work or to ignore all of the things that God has given you to do in your life, but I am talking about coming to them with the right purpose behind them. What is the purpose that you go to work? What is the purpose that you raise your family? What is the purpose that you live your life? Are you living it for you and the pursuit of your own dreams so that you can have the life that you want at the end of the day? Or are you pursuing it because God has given you a purpose and he has created all of these areas for you to work out that purpose? So is the progress that you're making in your life in line with God's purpose 
for your life? Is the progress you are making in life in line with God's purpose for your life? You might be making progress, right? We might be, we might be getting ahead. We might be taking steps down the road. But if our, perp- if our progress is not in line with our God-given purpose, we'll be building a set of stairs to nowhere. So how do you see God's purpose for your life being played out in your world? How do you see God's purpose for your life being played out in your family? How do you see God's purpose for your life being played out in your neighborhood? How do you see God's purpose for your life being played out in your workplace and in the marketplace and in the community at large? Have we even stopped to think that that God might have a purpose behind me being in all of these things to begin with? Or are we just pursuing them because we think that's what we're supposed to do? Philippians chapter 2. This is my favorite passage in all of Scripture. And I want to just read through it this morning. Uh, The first part of it we're just going to read because it's awesome and I want to share it with you. We're going to focus in on the second part though. But I want to help set the stage with with how great this passage is at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. It's going to be hard for me to work through this without totally getting off track, but I'll do my best. Therefore, if you want to know what the therefore is therefore, you can go read Philippians chapter 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, so we're united with Christ, if we have any comfort from His love, If we have any common sharing in the Spirit, if we have any tenderness and compassion, if this this is the description of our life in Christ, if we've been united with Christ, if we have comfort from His love, common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, if that's us, then, Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I want to set the stage just a little bit. I should have done this before, but Paul is actually writing this letter from prison. He's in prison writing this letter, and he's writing to the Philippian church to thank them, essentially, for the gifts that they have sent him. And so he's, he's filled with gratitude for what the Philippian church has done for him, and he's writing to thank them from prison. Think about that. This is his attitude from prison. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. How many of us, if we were in Paul's situation, would have this mindset? Or would we be thinking, poor me, poor me, I shouldn't be in here. Paul was a prisoner in chains because of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and this is the purpose God has given us all, right? To go out and share the gospel and and share the good news with those who don't know it. And And if some of us ended up in prison for that, how many of us would have this mindset, this way of thinking? Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Kind of talks about what we talked about last week, right? We shouldn't approach this because he's talking to the community at Philippi. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value one another's above yourselves. This is how we ought to approach one another in community. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is how we should live in community, that, that our desire behind living together in a, in a community of Christ is looking out for the interests of others, not just our own interests. And then he says this, in your relationship with one another, have the mindset as Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' mindset? This was Jesus' mindset. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was God, and he did not use his godness to his own advantage. He could have, except he couldn't have because it's not in keeping with his nature. But all of us would probably seek to use our nature if we were the, the very God himself, we'd use it for our own advantage, but Jesus didn't use his godness for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What kind of lives are we supposed to lead? Who is our example? Jesus is our example, and the lives we're supposed to lead are supposed to look like that, that, that we're willing to lay down anything that we can use for our own advantage and follow Jesus Christ into death on the cross. What happened to Jesus as a result of this is, it's therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the result of Jesus living this life is that now he was exalted to the highest place. Now, this is kind of our key text for this morning, verse 12 through 17. So in view of these things, therefore, as we look at how Jesus Christ lived his life and the example that was set for us and how that should affect our mindset as we live in community and, and further than that, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about having the right actions. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Whose purpose is it that God is trying to fulfill in each of our lives? His. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So the whole point of what God is doing is he wants to fulfill his purposes in our lives. And so he has created all of the way that this thing works, this, this discipleship process and, and living in Christian community for the purpose of fulfilling his purposes, not so that we could come and achieve our own. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. That's a hard one, isn't it? I've talked about my own struggles in this area, that, that I've, I've had my own struggles to, to try. I'm trying and it doesn't always work, but I'm trying to become a more positive, you know, optimistic, hopeful, encouraging, lighthearted kind of a person. And, you know, I don't know if it's just that I wasn't born that way or I've just been trained so long in and, and the opposite ways. But, but, you know, it's hard for me to be encouraging and, and positive and, and uplifting. I know that's 104.1 The Fish, you know, that's, that's their slogan. But, um, but you know, this is... This is not just a pursuit, you know, to try to be happy so that you're happy, but it's actually a call that is on all of our lives. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may, may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Why are we doing these things? Why should we do everything without grumbling or arguing? Because God wants to fulfill His good purpose in our lives. And when we grumble and argue and complain, when, when we do these things that is no different from how the world around us responds to, to things that we don't like or things that, we don't, that aren't the way that we wish they were, then, then we're not really any different than the world. But when we have surrendered our lives and we're, we've, we are now following the call of Christ, which is following Him daily into dying to ourselves, then, then the point and the purpose of our lives is to live our lives in such a way that the purpose of God is lived out everywhere, and this is one of the things that hangs us up, grumbling and arguing. I know this has been, this has been a keystone of nearly every church that I've been in, grumbling and arguing. There's always been grumbling and arguing in church. There's, there's always been some, you know, kind of complaining and dissatisfaction with wanting things a different way. Well, if things could just be this way or that way, if, if you could just do this, then I would be satisfied. Or if you could just do that, then, then I would be able to be happy. And then what happens is we, we make a change, and then, well, okay, I appreciate that, but I really need this too, and we... 
need just a little bit more. It's like what happens, you know, what, uh, from that quote from Air Force One. I know it's a really old, corny movie, but it's still one of my favorites. It's uh, what happens if you give a mouse a cookie. He's going to want a glass of milk, right? But because, like we talked about last week, we've, we've turned church into a commodity that we consume, we have the expectation that you should give me what I want, and if I don't get what I want, then I'm going to grumble and complain, and we should get a suggestion box out in the back so I can anonymously complain about the things that I don't like. But when we come to Christ and we really, truly, legitimately surrender our desires and our motives and all of these things to His purpose for our lives, then those things should start to fall off. We should start to shed those things because they're not a part of who we are. It's who we were that's not who we are becoming. And what is the point of this? Well, this is the rest of verse 15. It says, okay, so, so that you don't do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You see, I think, I think the... The things that we are doing, while they may be good when they're not done for the right purpose and the right reason and out of the right motivation, they become gods in themselves. You see, see, our, our families are good. God wants us to live in, in Christian family, and He wants us to raise our families in accordance with His Word. But when family becomes the most important thing in all of our lives, it becomes an idol, Family is very important, but is it more important than God in your life? Work is a very important thing. Work is something that God commands us to do. He created us and designed us to work all the way from the very beginning in the garden. We were designed to work. But when work becomes more important to us than God, then it is an idol. It's something that we're worshiping instead of God, and we're building our ladder up against the wrong wall. But when we do these things, then we will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We've always talked about, or at least we've talked about for a while, living a life that shines. And the only way to live a life that shines is to live a life that is different than the other lives that are being lived around us. But if our, if our motives are still for ourselves in all of these things, then, then we're not really living a life that shines. We have to start to live in everything for Christ. His purpose must reign supreme. And then Paul says, I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So he's talking about his role as discipling the church, as teaching the church that, that if you do these things, then he will be able to boast on the day of Christ that, that what he did was not worthless and fruitless, that he did not labor in vain. And, and that's the call that's on me is to help encourage and, and prompt and sometimes prod uh, us to, to live this kind of life that we've been called to. And my hope and my prayer is that I'll be able to also stand on the day of Christ and boast that I did not run or labor in vain. And here's our key verse for today. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. My question for us this morning is really quite simple. It is, are you pouring your life out or are you being poured out? Are you pouring your life out or are you being poured out? 
Paul here uses this expression that I think we need to define and understand. It says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. If I am being poured out, I want to go somewhere else where he uses the same phrase so that we can understand it just a little bit better, and that is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He's talking to Timothy and giving him some tips on how to be the pastor of the church um, at Ephesus, right? That's where Timothy was pastor, Jim? Was Timothy, the, Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, right? One of the, yeah. So he's, he's telling him how to do his role there. So he says to Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So it's my job, part of my job is correcting, rebuking, and encouraging with great patience and careful instruction. This, this must be a part of the process, patience and careful instruction. Sometimes it's hard for me to be patient. I'm sure I'm not the only one that struggles with being patient. Really quiet this morning. I, was say I figured. <laughs> For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Being poured out, I am, Paul says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. A drink offering was actually started in the Old Testament, and I think it's really significant. The first time we see a drink offering was when um, Isaac's name was changed, no, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It was Jacob's name that was changed to Israel. Jacob's name, when his name was changed to Israel, Israel's response was a drink offering, and that was the first time we see a drink offering. So after, after Jacob had received his new name and with that his new purpose and who God wanted him to be, then he responded with a drink offering, and a drink offering was a combination of wine and some other things that they would pour out. But in the, in the New Testament, we see this idea of drink offering in, in, the, in Jesus' life, who literally was poured out. Luke chapter 22, we, we talk about this all the time when we share communion. Luke 22, verse 19 and 20, and he, Jesus, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then over in John chapter 19, we see the literal pouring out of Jesus in verse uh, 32. Now it was the day of preparation, this is verse 31, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders didn't want to have the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And I don't have this on the screen, or, but I want to share it with you. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. 
These things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. These things happened to fulfill Scripture. What the soldiers did, it just so happens that what they did actually fulfilled prophecy that had been given about Jesus. It's remarkable. But here we see on the cross Jesus' life being poured out for us, for our salvation. And then now we see Paul referring to himself in the same way. Is it a coincidence, or am I just making a random connection between the pouring out of Jesus and what Paul is saying is called of as him, as a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't think so, and the reason I don't think I'm making some you know, random connection is the rest of Philippians chapter 2 that we read through where it talks about how Jesus lived his life and the sacrifice that he made. Remember, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then just a few words later, Paul says that he is being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. See, I think, I think just a subtle shift in the purpose behind how we live our lives will make the biggest difference. A subtle shift in the purpose behind our lives will make the biggest difference. Pouring yourself out versus being poured out. So being poured out as a drink offering is, is, called, is called to make a libation. And the New Testament is to be offered as a libation. Well, what does that word mean? It means to be poured out like a drink offering. That's what that means, to be, to be spilled out and poured out, emptied out. It is used, it's figuratively used of one whose blood is poured out in a violent death for the cause of God. So that's how the word is used. And that's how Paul is talking about himself. What, was he literally, you know, was he... He wasn't practicing, you know, old medicine where they, where they drained blood, right, to try to help you feel better. That was, that was an old medical practice. They don't do that anymore. Thank goodness. Now we just give our blood to help other people feel better. But um, he wasn't literally pouring out, but he was being poured out as a drink offering. See, I, it, it kind of goes all the way back to the very, uh-oh. Um, to the very beginning of, of being filled with God's love. See, th- this, this, is, this is you. This is me. There's, there's nothing there. I can't throw anything on Tim. We're, we are, we're empty, but, but yet we spend a lot of our lives pouring ourselves out in the pursuit of things, Right? We pour ourselves out. We we pour ourselves out in pursuit of the right career and hoping that you know we can we can make enough money so we can retire at 35. And I'm already past that point. You know, it's like we if, if I do the right things and if I make the right investments, then then I can then I can have the life that I want. Or we pour ourselves out into our families. And though family is a good thing, but but we're kind of pouring ourselves out into our families and. Hopefully something is going to come out and, and help our family. We pour ourselves out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and into all of these things that we do in our lives, and yet we don't really have anything to pour with because we haven't really been filled with God's love. All right, Tim, you ready? (laughs) But when we have been filled with God's love, then all of a sudden we have something in our pitcher that can be poured out. We have something that, that, that was put in us for a greater purpose than our own use, that God wants to then use in fulfilling His good purposes in the lives of those around us. You see, he, he wants us to be filled up with His love, with His calling, with His purpose, with His hope, so that we can be used for things like this. Matthew chapter 28, 
verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, you should have heard this by now, I hopefully you've heard this. All authority, this is Jesus' last words, right before he's going to ascend and go back up into heaven. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We who follow Jesus Christ, who have been filled up with God's love, and now God's love is in our lives, and I wish I could just make it overflowing, but that would make quite a mess, and I'm not magic. But, um, you know, if God's love is overflowing in our lives, then, then the natural outworking of God's love flowing into our lives is that it will have to flow out of our lives. And as it flows out of our lives, we are to be about the purpose of God, which is going and making disciples of all nations. And if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're supposed to start here. We start where we are. That means we start with our families, and we start with our communities, and we start with our neighborhoods, and we start in the places that we work. We start trying to make disciples of all nations here, where we are, our Jerusalem. And then going out into Judea and Samaria, the places we don't really want to go. We've got to get outside, though, where we are, and then to the ends of the earth. You see, the purpose God has poured into us is not for our own, you know, for our own feel-goodedness. I just like making up words. That's my role. Um, just so we can feel good about ourselves, the, the purpose of God pouring His love into us is that we might also be filled up with His purpose. So every single believer, every single believer on the planet has this common purpose that should be driving everything that we do. We have a common purpose that should be driving the way that we see how everything plays together in our lives. It's not me pouring myself out so that I can achieve whatever I want in life. It is God with his love being poured into my life, pouring himself out through my life so that I may become a part of his mission. That's our common purpose. Every single one of us has that responsibility. That's the call that's on all of us. That's why we're teaching through what it means to be a disciple, so that we all know the process of making disciples. We all have this call, and I know it feels like a heavy call, but this is something that we all have the responsibility to do. We all have this common purpose, but I also believe that we have, each and every one of us, a unique purpose that God has given us to do through which we can shine the light of God's love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So the result of what happened of us putting our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of his salvation is now that God raised us up with Christ, like we're saying, we have been resurrected. We have already received resurrection, and we have already received the victory of resurrection. And so now we have currently our current state of being, even though it doesn't feel current, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's the not yet, but it's also the now. We have been seated with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we all have our common purpose, but I also believe that God designed each and every one of us with a unique purpose, that God created you with strengths and talents and abilities that, that he wants to use for his glory through your life. And, and, and part of our passion and our desire as a church is to help you be able to discover that and as best we can come alongside you and teach you how to use your gifts and strengths and talents for his glory and his purposes. But how do I know what that is? How, well, maybe you don't know, and I can ask a couple of questions. Some of the questions that we've used in the past are, um, what breaks your heart? 
What is the thing that, what is the thing that you, when you see it breaks your heart and it makes you want to get involved? It makes you want to take action. What breaks your heart? Or another way of asking that question might be, what makes you come alive? What is it that when you do it, you, you, you find life and you just kind of spring to life and you want to be a part of that? What makes you come alive? Also, we have to take into account what are your innate strengths? What, is, what are the strengths that you have that, uh, that are a part of who you are? God designed you that way. He, he created you in advance with strengths. We can learn strengths, but we are also, some of us, more naturally gifted in certain areas. Where do you add the greatest value? Where, when you're serving, when you're active, and when you're a part of something, do you find, when I do this, the, the results are greater than what I could do on my own. I add great value in this area. Where do you add the greatest value? And then another final question is then, at the end, how will you measure your life? When you get all the way down to the very end of your days, how, when you look back, are you going to measure your life? How will you measure what has happened and what you poured yourself out or were poured out for? So my question, are you pouring out your life for your own pursuits or are you being poured out for God's greater purpose in your life. Do you feel like you're running on empty and you have nothing to give, nothing to offer? It's just been all you and there's nothing left to pour out. Just a couple drops here and there. Is the well empty? I'm trying to draw water from a well that dried up. Or because you have received God's love in your heart, you have been filled up to overflowing with the love of God, and now God's love is who you are. God's love has changed your motives and your motives are, are no longer for yourself and coming to God for what you can get out of God, but your motive is now that you live your life for His glory and you want to be a part of His great plan. And now because of that, your motive, and you've died to your own selfish motives. He, you have now received your identity. His identity has been poured out into your life. And now because you've received that identity and it's been poured out into your life, now the actions of your life are fueled and empowered by the love of God that is in your life. And now because you're living the right kind of life and you have the right motives and the right identity, you also have the right motive behind community and how you see people and how you see the brokenness of the world. You don't see them as something to be used for your own advantage, but you want to help redeem them through the love of God. And now because as a result of all of those things, God has redeemed you and, and your entire nature, he wants to use you and pour you out for his purpose and building up the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Poured out for His purposes. Are you pouring out your life or is your life being poured out? Will you stand? I want to pray for us this morning. I just ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. It's so easy to get off track in all of these things. It's so easy for us to kind of make things all about us in life. It's easy for us to, to take the gifts that God has given us and hoard them to ourselves in selfish ways. I've done it plenty in my life. It's easy for us to do that and 
and get off track. And from time to time, we kind of need to be reminded that the purpose of our life is not all about me and getting what I want, but the purpose of our life is, as we learned in in Ephesians, living our lives for the praise of His glory. As we've been going through this series, my hope and my prayer for all of us is that, is that we, we kind of have a, a, a realigned understanding and, and a reignited fire of living our lives for God's purposes. And if you are here this morning, and I myself am this way this morning, if you would just, if you would just like to maybe receive a fresh filling, so to speak, if if you would just like to be filled up with God's love and, and you would like to, as a, res, as a response to being filled up with God's love, live your life in this way. If you feel like you've been pouring out your life but the cup is empty and you just need to be filled up with God's love, I want to pray for you this morning. So if that's you, would you raise your hand? If you feel like you've been pouring out an empty cup, would you raise your hand? I've got a couple hands up. I'm going to join the crowd. If you feel like you've been pouring from empty, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that raise their hand and their courage to be willing to say, I I need to make a difference. I don't want to just pour out from my own strength, from my own abilities, but I want to be pouring out from being filled with God's love. Father, I pray right now in this moment that they would receive just a fresh filling, that that they would receive a new drink from the fountain that never runs dry, that the spirit of life would just fill and overcome the emptiness that they feel within. Father, I pray that you fill them up to overflowing. I pray that they would be so full of your love in this moment that that the love of God overflows out of their lives and onto the lives of those around them, that the love of God flows into every area of their life and that their purpose is now defined by what you say your purpose for their life is, that they find thriving when when they start to live their life according to your purpose for their life. Father, fill them up to overflowing that they may receive the goodness of your love. Heavenly Father, for all of us, I pray that that we would be just reignited on the fire of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that that maybe where the fire has gone out or where the cup is starting to, to dry up just a little bit, where we've been pouring and not been receiving from your love, where we've just been trying to do of our own strength and our own abilities what you didn't design for us to do on our own, that you would start to just remind us that you wanted us to do this all along from the basis of your love, that you wanted us to do this all along filled up with your love, not my own love, not my own ability, not my own desire, but your love. And Father, I pray that you would not only fill us up, but just light us on fire, that we may live lives that that really shine for the world to see, that we may live lives that, that set an example for the world around us, that show the world that there is a better way, that there is hope, that there is life, that there is peace, and that as we live these lives for your glory, people would be drawn to you. Father, I pray what Paul wrote to the Philippian church for us, that we would resemble this at 6-8, that we would do everything without grumbling or arguing, that we would become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Father, I pray that you would use us to shine among those who don't know you like the stars in the sky, that we would not shine our own light, but that we would shine the light of God's love as we hold firmly to the word of life. And Father, I pray that as we have that perspective at the end of our lives that Paul is writing from, that we would look back on our lives and measure our life based on how you poured us out for your purposes, that it would be for your glory and for your great name. Father, in this moment, take our minds and turn them from the way we normally see things shift our perspective to how you want us to see them.
Father, in this moment, help us to see our lives from your perspective and how you want us to live them, to no longer see them for our own benefit, for our own good, but that we would see our lives right now at this moment from your perspective and how you want us to live it. Father, right now, I pray that as we look at our families and and those that you have placed in our lives around us, however many or few that may be, that that you would help us to see that family that you've put in our lives and the way you want us to see them for building up your kingdom through this family, for making disciples through this family. Father, I pray that as we look at our work and the work that you've given us to do, whatever that may be, that you would start to help us to see how you want us to use this work for building up your kingdom not for just building up our checking account, not for just building up our retirement account, but how you want to use us in this work to build up your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would show us what that could look like and how that might be. Father, I pray that you'd give us a new perspective on our communities and on our neighborhoods, and that for those of us who still are afraid to get to know our neighbors, that we would find a new courage and a new passion for getting to know them so that we might love them in the way that you want them to be loved, that we would see our neighborhoods and our communities in a fresh way, not, not as something that we just live in and kind of hide from, but that we would start to see that you put us where you have put us for a reason that you want us to live our lives in a way that shines like stars in the universe. And Father, I pray that, that you would do the same through us as an organized church body, that we would shine like stars in this community that you've placed us in, and that as we shine like stars here in this Hazeldale community, that the people would be drawn here, that the people would be drawn to you through this church for reasons they can't express and reasons they can't explain, but that when they walk through these doors, they would find you here. They would find you in the handshakes. They would find you in, in the relationships and in the welcoming and, and in all of the things that we do that bring people in to connect them to you, that, Father, they would find you in what we do here on Sunday morning. And I pray, Father, that you would use us to reach those who don't know you, reach those who are far from you, reach those who are lost and dying apart from you, and that you would put a a passion and a burden in our souls to not be able to rest until we have done everything we can to reach out to those who don't know you. And Father, we pray and ask and thank you in advance for the work that you have already done, the work that you are doing, and the work that you will do that we have yet to see, that you will make your name great and you will use us to shine like stars in the universe in this Hazeldale community, and we give you the praise and the credit and all of the glory in Jesus' name. 